Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. In a little less than six weeks, we will see the end of one of the most contentious, controversial, and divisive elections in American history. The two sides have not only attacked each other's policies, but also their honesty, their competence, and even their love of country. Both sides claim to represent real American values, but often fail to explain exactly what those values are. Of course, if they had asked the cinephiles where to find real American values, we would have told them to look no further than the 1939 Frank Capra classic, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a film about idealism and corruption, the power of hope and the politics of fear. It is the story of a single man standing up against a great political machine. It's one of the great films of all time, and just as relevant today as it was almost 80 years ago. Mr. Smith is available for rental on Amazon and iTunes, and there's a really nice Blu-ray with lots of bonus material. So, if you haven't seen the movie, I definitely recommend checking it out, because the way things are in this country right now, one thing we could all use is a little more Frank Capra. That's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, coming this Friday to the Cinephiles. Hello and welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a classic film and explore its ideas, the filmmaking, its history, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing teacher in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everybody. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, actor, and host here in Los Angeles. And today, we are going back. This is the earliest film we will do at the Cinephiles. Yeah. And as I watched it, I went... Man, this is the movie America needs right now. Oh, wow. I really, really had that experience. Okay. The film is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, 1939, directed by Frank Capra and starring uh, Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur. Mm. Two unbelievably great actors. Yes. In the perfect roles for them, both of them, at the times in their lives of, as actors. Like, it's the perfect oh, yeah. casting for both of them at this time. Absolutely. So, John, how did you first come to this film? I saw it, I think I saw it really young. 
And I remember loving this film. I remember crying at the end of this film when I was a kid. Because I, I think I watched it when I was really young, like in a teenager. And uh, that end sequence where he grabs the letters and falls down and passes out. I remember feeling that. You know, I, yeah. I think I was born with this idea of wanting to tilt at windmills and fight the establishment and what have you. It just has always been something within me. And that film really encapsulated that. The hero standing against uh, impossible, the, the odds. impossible yeah. odds and the evil corporate whatever and it was so to me when I saw it and it just always left a very strong impression on me uh, because of how he was railroaded and that just that sequence when they're almost killing the kids and the, delivering those newspapers oh, that all is of, brutal yeah it's brutal all this stays within I mean, really you. really scary I was yeah. going to talk about that later but, yeah, but, yeah. but it is really really scary absolutely man absolutely yeah. and so it just always stayed with me and I've enjoyed revisiting the film over and over and over again through the years I own it on Blu-ray and uh, I, but I had to record it the other day because I didn't I just wanted to watch it off the television off TCM <laughs> and it was so great because because uh, uh, why what, we, what is it what's his face that does watching? the intro not oh, Robert yeah. Osborne but the other guy that I don't like so much but I don't mind him being on there the son of Mankiewicz Mankiewicz yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to take his job basically is my life goal right. and uh, he 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 intro- I love coming for intros. you Mank <laughs> that's right Mank get ready he intros a lot of those with some great information in fact right. so I love watching it on TCM oh that's a good point what about you um, so I don't think I saw it so early I mm. definitely seen It's a Wonderful Life because that comes on yes. you know even when we were kids it came on every christmas yeah always loved that movie and 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 that was a movie where it was you know one of those sort of of course i, I don't know when i saw it first i don't know right I, I frequently didn't see the whole thing you would come in in the middle yeah um and so it really was when i was in college that i started trying to as you said when i became sort of a cinephile yeah and started trying to explore like oh frank capra who is this guy right and i remember at the time i watched all the old you know went got vhs ones and that's yeah. when i first saw mr smith yeah and i was a political science major at berkeley mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. and so looking at that and seeing the politics politics of it it just was it's right up my alley and there's something about washington dc i've yeah. always loved dc i've always loved the lincoln memorial mm-hmm. and i and i think this is a movie that's very much about the ideals of america as really symbolized by the lincoln memorial mm-hmm. and dc in general coming up against the reality of america yeah and i i grew up in dc from when i was born oh, yeah, dc virginia right. pretty much uh my entire life up until i was 26 27 years old and started this journey of becoming an actor and you know i'd been in the military but still i was stationed near virginia and maryland so i was always around dc and yeah the the to me i'm a political junkie so it spoke to me on that level as well but you're right steve there's such a reverence in this film for the american monuments for america itself you know and for the ideal of america the ideal of america yes yeah. exactly steve the ideal of america those those speeches that you look like the scene where you they walk up and old the grandfather with his grandchild showing him the speech and the grandchild is saying the speech from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we hear highly Resolve. Resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And then the black gentleman, the black gentleman doesn't say a word. He's an older black gentleman walking up to the Lincoln Memorial as the speech is being read because he's supposed to reflect slavery and what Lincoln did to emancipate the slaves. It's this ideal, this ideal. Well, yeah. and, you know, because it's, it, it's, it's a small moment in the film, but it's yeah, kind of profound because because really how old do you think that guy is? Which one? The, the, the African-American. Oh, uh, he's probably in his 60s. 60s, 70s, 50s. right? Yeah, yeah, 60s, so the movie's 70s. made in 1939. Yes. 70 years earlier is the Civil War. Yes. So he might have been born a slave. Right. That man. Right. If he's 80, which is possible too, sure. he was born a slave. Yeah. You know, so, so and it's one of the things we don't think of like, oh, you know, those things seem very, very, very far away, but yeah. in some ways they're not. They're right. pretty close. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit, uh, maybe even more than a little bit about Frank Capra. Yeah. Uh, he is one of my favorite directors. I love him. And if you ever want to read a great Hollywood story, and by great Hollywood story, I mean, this, this is probably a little Hollywood, mm-hmm. is read Frank Capra's name above the title. Have you mm-hmm. read it? Mm-hmm. 
It I have is it in paper great. Yeah. 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 It is so good. And, and from what I've heard, okay, maybe it's not all <laughs> true. It's very romantic, but it's really great. Um, and, and a lot of it, of course, is true. Frank Capra was born in Sicily in 1897, yeah. immigrated to the U.S. in 1906, um, came through Ellis Island settled in Los Angeles with his family and was immediately as a kid working constantly. So he'd get up at four or five in the morning. He'd go to a newspaper factory, tie up newspapers into bundles until yeah. seven or eight in the morning, then go to school all day. Then after school, he'd go out and sell newspapers, get home at 10 o'clock at night, do his homework, go to bed at one in the morning and get up at four or five wow. in the morning again. And that's what he did. And the word that he heard, and please forgive me because I'm going to use a, a, a ethnic uh, slur here, oh. but the word that he heard describing him more than anything else was WAP. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how many people know the origin of the term WAP, which is a derogatory term for Italian Americans, yeah. but it is comes from without papers. Yep. And that is a that's that's something we got to think about. Mm-hmm. Is that this was a guy? He was a legal immigrant, but he's was accused of and and put in the group of you're an illegal immigrant. You're yeah. the people coming to steal American jobs, yeah. and that was just as true in 1903 as it is true today. 2016, yeah. And the he, narrative never changes. No, too. it doesn't change. No. It the groups change. The groups change. Who, yes. who those immigrants are change. Absolutely. Maybe it was the Italian or the Polish or J- the Jews, right. my people, or maybe it was you know the Chinese or the Filipinos. Right. But it's still here. Yep. And and yet here is so and, I, and it's so important to know that's where Capra comes from because he more than anybody else, I think in filmmaking establishes the idealized America. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who's an immigrant who was accused of called a WAP. Yeah. And this is the guy where we get there's some quote. It's John Cassavetes. I'm not going to get it exactly right. And the quote is something like, "I don't know if there ever was." An America, or there was, or if there was just Frank Capra. <laughs> that's a great quote. Yeah. Wow. But the thing that's great about him, Stephen, you you are absolutely right. He creates the idealized America, right? Or he reflects the idealized America. Yeah. But all of his films have the darkness underneath the idealism. No question. Which about I it. think is so such a gift that he has to be able to show you the Norman Rockwell painting. But then when you turn the Norman Rockwell painting over. It's almost like picture of Dorian Gray. You see the ugly, yeah. aged aspects. That's a great okay. metaphor you know, for it. Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to see the picture of Dorian Rockwell. You know, <laughs> I think it would be interesting. Totally. Um, uh, so then Capra, he, he, he's a great student, brilliant guy, yeah. goes to Caltech, gets a degree in chemistry, and immediately then it's World War One, and he wants to serve his country. So he immediately enlists, and immediately the war ends. So he yeah. didn't actually serve in the military. I mean, he served in the military, but not uh, in the war. And then he bums around. He's not sure what to do. Ends up sort of falling into uh, f- the film work because of his chemistry degree. Right. Working in developing and then working in editorial. He essentially bullshitted his way, lied his way into directing his first film. This is really wow. in the silent era. Right. They, there was an ad saying, looking for direct experienced director. And he just walks in, having you know done film developing, and goes, I'm a director. And directs his first film. Wow. That's in San Francisco. Then he moves down to L.A. because he goes, oh, I think this is what I want to do, and ends up working um, for Hal Roach on Little Rascals movies and then Max Sennett on Keystone Cop movies. Mm -hmm. It becomes what you call a gag man, which is sort of a writer, but it wasn't writers at the time because there wasn't dialogue and stuff. And uh, becomes very successful, starts to direct... Uh, his own films, including uh, for Harry Langdon, who is sort of, it's not Buster Keaton, it's not Charlie Chaplin. Right. You take a few steps down, you get to Harry Langdon, and, and, and Capper directs for him, gets fired by Langdon, because Langdon thinks that he's really the genius. Langdon's career then goes in the toilet. <laughs> and then he goes to Columbia. And Columbia at the time was what was called Poverty Row. So there was the big studios, you know, MGM and Fox and those guys. And then there was Columbia, where nobody wanted to work. Wow. And the person who really built Columbia is Frank Capra. Hmm. And he starts directing much smaller films that become hugely successful. Until we get to 1936, and he directs um, It Happened One Night with yeah. Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Mm-hmm. And it is the first movie to sweep the Oscars, and which means director, actor, actress, screenplay, best picture. Mm-hmm. This has never happened before. Frank Capra is at that time the most successful director at Hollywood, and he's working for a Poverty Row studio. Right. He's, he, and the reason his book is titled Name Above the Title is he's the first director, with the exception of um, D.W. Griffith, where the director is the draw. Right. So it said it, said it happened one night, Frank Capra, or yeah. Frank Capra as it happened one night. Yeah. His name was more important than the title of the film. And after he sweeps the Oscars as the most successful director in America, yeah. he basically, from what it sounds like, had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Um, and he 
couldn't work. He had heart palpitations. He didn't leave his house for months. Wow. He essentially freaked out. And here's the story he tells in his book. And whether or not, and it's real, and this is why I wanted to tell this whole long story. Okay. And whether or not this is true or not, I don't give a shit because the story is so good yeah. that and, and establishing who Frank Capra becomes. So he's sitting in his room. He can't breathe. He can't do anything. He's a complete panic. And there's a knock on the door. And his wife says, there's someone here to see you. And he says, I don't want to see anybody. And in walks what he describes as a tall, a tiny little man dressed in black. And the little man sits down next to him and he turns on the radio. And on the radio, we hear, I don't know how you heard this, but coming from Berlin, a speech of Adolf Hitler and the screaming crowds. And the man has Capra listen to the voice of Adolf Hitler for a while, turns the radio off and turns to him and says, you have the power to speak to people for two hours in the dark. And there's no power on earth that can beat that. Wow. And the little man gets up and he walks out of the room and Frank Capra gets up. And the next movie he makes is Mr. Deeds. Wow. Now, is this true? I don't care because I love this story. It might have been a fever dream. Who knows? But it still works. But he goes from being the most successful director Mm -hmm. to being a director that deeply cares about issues, about telling a certain kind of simple truth. And after that, we have You Can't Take It With You and Meet John Doe. And then we get to where we are right now, which is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, This is a great story you bring up, Steve. This is fantastic. I mean, a lot of directors, a lot of actors, they have these moments. You know, these gifted ones have these moments where they see things or hear messages or get ideas from certain things that they feel is directly uh, speaking to them and it motivates them to move into a a certain uh, way of being. You know, most artists are fluid in that way, that they go with where they're going and then all of a sudden this an idea or a thought or a belief system grabs them and then they tailor their art to fit within that belief system. And so it would make sense that that might happen for him in his mind. Who knows if it's true, like you said. But now we get this and I'm happy it happened because some of his greatest movies are after this situation. You know? Absolutely, for me. Yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love it happening. Yeah, it's a, a good really film. good movie. Absolutely. But I don't go back to it the way I go back to yeah. Beach on Doe or the way I go back to It's a Wonderful Life right. or right. Mr. Smith. Because it's difficult to do those kinds of films and make them as accessible and, and powerful uh, and real as he does in, the, in, in, the, in those movies. Mm-hmm. Well, And what he does is he takes his great comedy chops and he has great comedy chops and he takes his great character chops he loves actors loves working with actors knows how to establish characters casts very interesting actors in his movies and then he applies them to let's do let's talk about something that's important and in this case it's let's talk about America on a a fundamental level Um, so if you haven't seen the film we should say that now Uh, please turn back at this time thank you for downloading go watch the film come back and then pick up where you left off right here and we'll give you, I'll give you a quick rundown on what the yes, film's about, please. is that there's a senator in some western state, I always picture that it's Wyoming, sure. or so I don't know where, where it is, some western state, and the senator has died, and the governor has to appoint a new senator, and rather than appoint someone who's controlled by the political machine, which would piss off his state, or control a crazy liberal that will, pit, that will fight against the political machine, which he can't afford to do, he appoints Jefferson Smith, played by Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. who is essentially the world's greatest Boy Scout leader. Yeah. That's sort of how basically yeah and he is humble and he is sweet and he's patriotic and he's naive and totally unprepared to go to washington and then he finds himself in the middle of a massive political fight yeah it's very lincoln-esque and in his his jefferson davis is very uh, jefferson smith rather it's (laughs) a slip of the tongue that (laughs) is a strange one (laughs) (laughs) but it's very lincoln-esque in the way because he tall lanky yeah from uh, from what you imagine a backwoods type of area in terms of his approach to things because sure. very Boy Scout you know even when the governor comes over to his house that that the uh, they're playing whatever they're playing out right in his living room there's a yeah. printing press apparently down there so like everything about it is very straightforward and and stripped of any kind of uh, pomp and circumstance right so when he comes when he shows up in Washington he shows up and he's got to get the pigeons we've got to get the pigeons got to get the Homer pigeons these women come up and ask him from the milk uh, milk fund or whatever it is. And then he disappears for five hours to explore Washington. There is, this is what I enjoy about his character. He is not naive, stupid. He's naive, but with, right. but with a very, very much a black and white uh, version of the world. What is yeah. good and what is right and what is bad and what is evil. And so for him, 
He's very fervent. And that's why when he has his change of heart, thanks to Gene Arthur, uh, later on in the movie, you go with him into the battle. You go with him in battle. Because he's not stupid. He's naive because he doesn't know. But once he knows, he gets over it and fights. And I love that. He's very intelligent. Yes, exactly. And that's why naive is the right word, is that he thinks that people think like him. Yes. He he has been brought up on a certain belief in America and what America is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work. And he just assumes that that is what it is. And it is heartbreaking to Mm -hmm. watch his heart be broken. Oh yeah. I mean, it is real. And in particular, the relationship with Claude Rains. Mm -hmm. So Claude Rains plays Senator Payne. uh, And I love Claude. He's such a good actor. He's a great actor. And Claude Rains, they established was a fighting civil rights kind of lawyer with uh, Jefferson Smith, Jimmy Stewart's character's dad, who was a fighting care about the underdog uh, newspaper publisher. And they were side by side and fighting together. And that's, and now Senator Payne has gone off to Washington and he's still fighting for these great causes. That's what Jefferson Smith thinks. And we know right from the beginning of the movie that, that Claude Rains' character, Senator Payne, is in the pocket of Boss Taylor, played by Eddie Arnold. Who I love to death. Who is great. He's a great villain, man. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. one of the best villains ever. It's genuinely scary. Yes. In this movie. Oh, oh, this side of Lionel Barrymore is one of the best villains oh, yeah. ever. You know? And he, his voice is very yes. deep and soft. And, and he's just telling you, this is what's going to happen. And every sentence is a hammer blow. Oh, yeah. A hammer blow. But what do you want me to do? Stand around like you chumps and let that drooling infant wrap that Willow Creek dam appropriation around my neck? Not me. <laughs> Either he falls in line with us and behaves himself, or I'll break him so wide open they'll never be able to find the pieces. Jim, I won't stand for it. You won't stand for it? I don't want any part of crucifying this boy. Oh, I see. Our steamroller methods are getting too hard for your sensitive soul, is that it? <laughs> My methods have been all right for the past 20 years, Joe. Since I picked you out of a fly-specked hole in the wall and blew you up to look like a senator, and now you can't stand it. Well, maybe you don't have to stand it, Joe. Maybe we can fix it so you and the boy Ranger can go home together. Oh, Jim, now you don't have to. Oh, it's all right, it's all right. It seems a shame, though, to part company like this after all these years, especially now with a national convention coming up. Joe, I put everything I have behind you, and so did all of our friends. I guess we'll survive. We just got to find somebody else who's got a little more sense, that's all. In the meantime, you go in and explain to Mr. Smith about Will and Dan. It's your bill. It's your reputation. And if he can't find enough facts to break you with, you just send it to me and I'll give him a couple of good ones. And he's used to getting what he wants. Exactly. And, 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 and the thing is, there doesn't... What's so interesting, and this we just got to hit, you already said it, but I want to hit it again in terms of Capra. Capra gets knocked for being corny. I don't this, understand I don't that. get it. And this world is not corny. No. This is a very cynical world that we're in. It is a very dark world. Yeah. The only person that's corny is Mr. Smith. Yeah. Everything else, because the thing we got to point out is it's not like Taylor and his relationship to Senator Payne is a secret. Right. Gene Arthur, who, who plays um, uh, Mr. Smith. Excuse me, his secretary. Yeah, Clarissa. Clarissa. Yeah, she knows. Uh, please, Saunders. Saunders. I'm sorry, Miss Saunders. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, she knows. She knows about it. Yeah, the reporters kind of seem to know about it. Of you course. gotta assume the other senators know about of it to some degree. This is just sort of how business is done. Right. The business is done where there's graft and there's dirty politicians and bribery, and that's just nor- and the reporters don't report it, and that is what it is. And Steve Morris. Nothing has changed. That's why I say, like, this is a movie we need to look at. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We need to be watching this movie today, Mm -hmm. both because these fucked up things that we're seeing in our society today, they are not new. Yes. And to to remind ourselves that it's important to keep the ideal alive. Yeah. To keep the faith in America alive, even at the point where, and this movie definitely gets there, yeah. there's no reason to have any faith anymore. That's true. And I think what Steve is saying is correct, is keeping the faith alive in the country. That's absolutely right. And I don't know when we're going to release this episode, maybe closer to the election time or whatever, but like, it matters. This matters. And, and what's so great about the film revisiting, yeah, at times it's a bit overly patriotic. Hey, you got to figure that, you got to factor in the time it wouldn't have made in the 30s. We were about to, I think, what year did it come out? 34? 39. 39. So we're about to, we're only, what, a couple of years away uh, from, the, from the Second World War starting. Yep. But, and so you have that happening. And so all of this, this is what comes, it's, it's a really rousing thing about America. And that's, that could be the corny moments. But 
without Jimmy Stewart. If you didn't have Jimmy Stewart, it could have been corny. And the fact, I'm sure he considered Gary Cooper, but I think he chose the right guy for this because you want the you want the innocent child naivete that you can connect to and the energy that Stewart has. And so what he confronts there is the he exposes in the most innocent way possible um, by building a boys' camp. Uh, because he's encouraged by uh, Claude Rains' character, Senator Payne, to to try to do a bill. And it's to keep him out of the way because he's essentially a, supposed to be a stooge who comes in there for two weeks, votes how they tell him to vote, and then they'll put someone else in there, right? And he he accidentally trips into this whole thing. And when it happens, you see how dirty the politics really are, how in the pocket everyone really is, and how he doesn't have a friend in the world but Clarissa Saunders. And that's what's so uh, fun about the movie is even when all the chips are down, he still finds a way to survive from his gumption, his authentic way. He doesn't try to out Machiavelli them. He uses the rules to, to, to fight back, and he does it his way. He doesn't uh, sacrifice his ethics or morals to win. Not I love all. that. Well, and his essential belief is if we say the truth, yeah. then people will listen. That is what the belief is. Right. I don't need to do anything other than say the truth. There's some line that's just, just common rightness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I want to go back to um, Saunders. Yeah. I love Jean Arthur. My friend, mass- I have had a massive crush on her since that movie when I first saw it and even and up to Shane which I think is her last like really big studio film. Uh, and then she does some TV stuff. She never really kind of comes back to prominence, right? But she's beautiful in this movie as a character and as a, as a female actress. Yeah. And funny and yes. cute and charming. I mean, her drunk scene is oh. just, she's adorable right. and cynical and hard yeah. and tough. Why don't you go home? Tell your little streams about your camp and the land of the free. This is no place for you. You're halfway decent. You don't belong here. Now go home. Well, say something. Don't just stand there like a... Wait a minute. Why don't I do this right? So you want to be a senator, huh? You're going to build a camp on Willow Creek. See this? Deficiency bill. Section number 40. A dam going up where you think your camp's going to be. Ever hear of it? No. They read all about it in the Senate today, but you weren't supposed to hear. That's why that ritzy dame took you in tow. That's why they sent you here in the first place, because you don't know a damn from a bathtub. Go ahead. Be a senator. Try and mess up Mr. Taylor's little graft. But if you can't, and you can't in nine million years, go home. Don't stay around here making people feel sorry for you. You know, her performance and the character that is created is so great. And, there's, and, it's, and it's interesting because... My understanding, from what I've been able to gather, Frank Capra kind of loved her too. Oh, and they might have. There might have been a, a thing there. I don't fault him. And Frank Capra says, I remember in his book, he says one of the jobs of the director is you have to fall in love with your leading actors. Mm-hmm. Now it's sexist because in his mind, directors are all men. But but I think there is some <laughs> truth in terms of falling in love with your actors. Yeah. Not just the is that it happens all the time. If you, well, and I don't mean just that you fall, you romantically fall in okay. love with them. Although that, that's a, a side thing. Sure. But it means that you have to love the people you're going to photograph. Right. You have to love because you have to, you have to see that essence in them that is magical mm-hmm. in order to put it on screen. Yeah. And he definitely captures that with oh, June yeah. Arthur. And her relationship to, it's Thomas Mitchell, I think, mm-hmm. uh, who we talked about in High Noon. Yeah. And he's Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful yeah, Life. Yeah, he is. He, this is my favorite of his. His character of Diz, he's the drunken reporter yeah. who's clearly in love with Saunders. Totally in love with Saunders. And it's so funny when he's asking her to marry him repeatedly in yeah. the film. And she, I think she never quite really believes that he's no. serious. No, And he's serious every single time. Right. 100%. Right. Now I'd let him talk me into staying. Secretary to a leader of little squirts. Why? Because I need the job and a new suit of clothes. Would you settle for a husband? I sure would. <laughs> Huh? You know, my old standing offer. Dismore, poet of Washington correspondence. Oh, that again. Yeah. I cherish it, and I'd stay sober. Oh, Diz, you're a wonderful egg. I don't know, maybe if I saw you once with your hair combed or something. Uh... No, I don't think even that would do it. No point in combing my hair for nothing. I'm not going to comb, well, then why am I, I'm not going to comb, comb my, my hair. hair? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so great. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Um, the sequence, the drunk sequence with Saunders and him saying, let's go get married. Yeah. Is so funny yeah. and so good. And he is so sweet. Yes. That character. Yeah. It is. Yep. Let's get married. It's a good idea. When? Anytime. Tonight? Okay. You don't mind. I cherish you. Oh, gee. You're a good egg, Diz. I know. Maybe we could clear out of this town. We have to feel like people. Do we have to? No, I can't think of anything more sappy. Okay. Then let's get going. Where? We're getting married. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thomas Mitchell made a career out of playing these kind of characters. Yeah. And what's so funny about this film is that you see a lot of what is, in essence, Frank Capra's stock actors yeah. throughout the film. The woman that plays Jefferson Smith's mom is the same woman that plays Jimmy Stewart's mom yep. in It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And so it's just you see these people coming back. Thomas Mitchell is in It's a Wonderful Life. You, there's a three or four people. The guy who supposedly sold or whatever signed. Oh, the yeah, 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 that yeah. guy. You've seen him in a number of uh, in, in a couple of the Capra films. And so you see this, uh, the guy who plays the senator is Mr. Gower from It's a Wonderful life oh, who plays right. the minority senator so right. you see them all through the film uh there and it works and i forget who plays uh the president of the senate that guy is fantastic as well so that's harry carey senior oh father of harry carey jr the famous uh announcer chicago cubs announcer i'm 90 percent sure and harry <laughs> carey senior he was a, a cowboy oh, actor. He was a cowboy actor. Oh, okay. A well-known cowboy actor. Wow. So he's the guy. He basically is sitting up on the big platform yeah. with his gavel. Yeah. And he, one of the things he has to do throughout the movie is just give reaction shots. Yeah. And he is great. He, he really is. He's so good yeah. and funny and sweet and compassionate yeah. and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. Yeah. I don't want to leave Gene Arthur without, I, I, I would say that I, I loved her almost as much as Jimmy Stewart's character, oh, I, yeah. if, if not more this time around there's so much about her that's so uh so fascinating interesting to watch her her speech patterns her uh reaction when the jefferson smith's mom calls her clarissa like there's she that's, called me clarissa it's so sweet when she cries in the drunken scene at the end crying against the wall because she doesn't yeah. love him against her better nature because she knows it's suicide to love him because he's so idealistic, but she's been desperate for that. You know what I'm saying? And she's a woman in transition, a character in transition in the movie because she was serving that senator who died. Jefferson, oh, I mean, uh, Payne, Senator Payne convinces her to stay on to help Jefferson Smith, thinking that she'll distract him. But then when when they try to sick uh, Jefferson, Payne, uh, I mean, uh, Senator Payne's daughter on. Uh, Jimmy Stewart's character. Susan. She's Susan, right. She, that's where she goes into the tailspin of being drunk because she actually loves him but can't accept that she loves him. And then... Well, and let's, and let's just go back a little. Yeah. Is that she, her character, when we meet her, yeah. is a hard-nosed, cynical, pragmatic person right. who has no ideals, essentially. 
is that she... Ooh, that's good. That's hard, Steve. I don't know if I agree with that. I think, I think she internally she wants them. I, I think she had them because she makes, she, a, she makes she, a conversation. She says that when she first got here, she too came like wide-eyed. But remember when she tells Payne, I, I can't, I, right. when I came, I was the wide-eyed kid. And now, now I'm the kid with the green... Yeah. yeah, dollar symbols in my eyes. So you saw that. She changed. But the reason she loves Jimmy is because... Oh, the Jimmy Stewart's character is because that's who she was when she first well, came Well, and she says the thing about her father. My father was yes. a doctor. Yes. Who didn't get paid, you know, because yeah. he was trying to do the right thing, right. which is a very similar thing, by the way, to Barbara Stanwyck's character in Meet John Doe, is mm. that she had an idealized father as yeah. well. Um, is is so so she so Jimmy Stewart shows up, and her first reactions to him is he's a chump. Yeah. He's an idiot. Yeah. And I mean, we have to point out she screws him twice. Yes. So the first time is she goes, oh, screw this guy, and she sicks the, news, the nasty newspaper reporters on him to make him look ridiculous. Yeah. And this is another great bit of writing. Jimmy Stewart finds out he's been made to look ridiculous, goes around and starts punching everybody. You can't do that. <laughs> you really can't do that. <laughs> That's a salt battery. And then he gets into the, maybe it's the reporters' club. Yeah, the or press the, club press or whatever. Club, whatever yeah, yeah. And they throw him on the ground, and he says, Why don't you tell the people the truth for a change? Oh, the truth. The man wants the truth. The, the man, man wants, wants the, the truth. truth. What is the truth, said Jesting Pilate, and would not stay for an answer. How do you want it, Senator? Dished out or in a bottle? The people of this country pick up their papers and what do they read? Well, this morning they read that an incompetent clown had arrived in Washington, parading like a member of the Senate. You thought as much about being honest as you know about being smart. Honest? Why, we're the only ones who can afford to be honest in what we tell the voters. We don't have to be re-elected like politicians. For instance, we tell them when phonies or crackpots come here to make their laws. If it's the truth you want, what are you doing in the Senate? What do you know about laws or making laws or what the people need? I don't pretend to know. And what are you doing in the Senate? What's he doing? Why, honorary appointments. <laughs> what the country needs men up there who know and have courage as it never did before. He's just going to decorate a chair and get himself on it. Or will he vote? Sure, just like his colleague tells him to. Yes, sir, like a Christmas tiger. He'll nod his head and vote. Yes. Yes, You're not a senator. You're an honorary stooge. You ought to be shown up. Have a drink, senator. It'll taste better than the truth. <laughs> and then they, they give him this speech that is fucking brutal, which they says, educated. you deserve to be showed up. Mm -hmm. You're a chump. You're a stooge. And that's what you're here for. And you don't know anything that's going on. And you're, you should, you know, you've got this name senator, you know, put on you. Yeah. It is a, it is a really dark speech. It's an education. Yeah. And, and you see it hit. And again, you know, a lot of acting is reacting. And yeah. you see Jimmy Stewart's reaction to that speech. And then it sinks in and he goes. And this is like to your point from before. Mm -hmm. He's not dumb. No. He's naive. Yeah. And that he goes, they're right. Yeah. They're absolutely right. Right. Um, and then Saunders screws him again. Mm -hmm. Because he says, I'm going to build this dam on Willett Creek. And she knows exactly what Willett Creek is. Right. She knows that's the graph. She knows this is the big plan. And she goes... Go ahead. Mm -hmm. She sets him in. And this is this is to, you know, I mean, it's what the plot of the movie is. Right. But, man, she sets him up to be destroyed. Well, in a way, yes. I, but I think she wants to, she doesn't, she can wash her hands of it. Because at that point, she's not 100% sure about her feelings for him. And she washes, I think she can wash her hands because she knows, she thinks that Senator Payne is going to step in and just quash it. Yeah. So we'll let him try and see what happens. I don't think she could have anticipated that he. No. this would have been a massive battle for the soul of the Congress, well, which and, is what yeah. ends up happening. And she doesn't anticipate that she's going to care. Yes. And, and there's this moment. So, so we have this issue with Smith and the Taylor, and they go, we gotta, we're going to have to stop him. Right. And Taylor says, why don't you sick Susan, your daughter? He says to the senator, have your daughter go, go charm him. Thank God. And the senator goes, hey. My daughter will not do that. And then he backs down. Yes. And he lets his daughter essentially, I don't want to say whore herself out, but essentially, you know, flirt with this guy yeah. to keep him out of the Senate. Right. That is really fucked up. Yeah. It's really, and, and that's why I go, this is a dark world that oh, yeah. we're in. Oh, yeah. Um, exactly. And, and, and brother, it's really painful to see how much of it is reflected in our society now. Oh, All yeah. that stuff about money being, and that's the thing that struck me as I watch, uh, it was Edward Arnold's character. He has them in the pocket of his it's the same thing with lobbies like you're watching that with lobbyists now both sides on both sides i'm not choosing sides on both sides you see lobbyists buy and sell politicians all the time based on contributions and it's just how it works and that's what the that's what i think is the subversive nature of this movie is that frank capra is telling the idealistic uh, uh joe and mary smith of the world like hey 
This is what's really going on in your Congress. This is what's really going on yeah. in your country. Jim, um, Jimmy Stewart is us in the movie. He is. We watch him because we think we're that. We think we're the idealistic Jimmy Stewart. But our reality is what Senator Payne is doing, what Edward Arnold's character is doing, what those reporters school Jimmy Stewart about in that moment. Absolutely. And when you get to, so what ends up happening is Jimmy Stewart's going to get kicked out of the Senate yeah. because they've smeared him. They, they've just said he's a terrible person. They totally he's, framed him. Yeah, yeah. Completely frame him. And then he comes to fight back. And the only way he gets to fight back is to do a filibuster. Yes. Which means he's going to just talk and talk and talk until he collapses. And his idea is that his story, his news is going to get back to his state. And they know him there. And they know Taylor there. And right. the state is going to rise up and say that he's right. And Taylor says, calls up all his newspapers and all his guys and says... I can make public opinion. I've done it all my life. Mm -hmm. And he, and what you see, it is so dark of them literally at one point running a bunch of kids off the road yeah. with a truck. With a truck. Yeah, grabbing a kid. There's huge marches they put together. And I'm watching all this, and I'm thinking about today's world mm -hmm. and the way the media works today. Yeah. Whether you watch Fox News or MSNBC or God forbid get all your news off of Facebook, <laughs> you are seeing you are seeing the Taylor machine. Yeah. You are seeing people skew and spin and mm -hmm. distort and create news that only makes you angry. Yeah. And it is exact and in a lot of ways it's it's I'd say much worse. Well, and he doesn't just buy the newspapers obviously, no. which we have with Rupert Murdoch and uh, sorted other people who own newspapers and sway public opinion and at that time Randolph Hearst yeah. was certainly powerful in that way or just about still in the throes of his power. Uh you see, when they start to do that march, which, by the way, what an amazingly impromptu march. They're able to organize so quickly yeah, and start amazing. doing. Uh, but you see the cops come out with the hose. Yeah. The cops. He's also bought the policeman. And that is also something that's interesting to explore now in 2016. Like, there's so much about this film that is us that we don't want to believe is us. And I think that's what's great about Capra. Same thing with It's a Wonderful Life. And his best films, and Meet John Doe. Meet John Doe devastates me on so many levels oh, yeah. every time I watch it because it's that. Because it's the fickleness of humanity, the fickleness of the public, and what it can do to a person. And so you see this whole situation erupting with Smith, and you're going along with him, and you're like... Man, this is this is real. This feels very much like 2016, and that's why I think it's funny when people complain. Oh, this country! It's where is the country going? What's going to happen to the country? We've been doing this to ourselves for decades, for decades in this country, and that's just what happens. Go back and watch the Ken Burns documentary of Franklin Roosevelt. All the things I'm that, literally watching right now. Are by you the really? Way, yeah. Uh, just watch the whole thing. How people think Roosevelt is amazing, beautiful president. People loved him. Bullshit. When you watch the 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 um, the documentary. The other side, the Republicans came after him with all the most horrible sl slights and, and, and slang words that you can use uh, with w against Roosevelt in all their campaigning. All the so this is politics, and this is the way it's been. And I think that's what's so great, which you bring up that point, about the press reporters schooling uh, uh, yeah. Jefferson Smith. And throughout the movie, he is schooled by Gene Arthur, by Edward Arnold's character, by Senator Payne when he has that. After Edward Arnold, after Edward Arnold tells him that he bought Senator Payne, they have that scene in Senator Payne's office where he fully admits that he's been bought by Taylor, which is uh, Edward Arnold's character. And that is so painful. We see his potential destruction and despond, uh, despond, possible despondency about America possibly happen but he doesn't give in to it because of Gene Arthur because she picks him back up because she finds him at the Lincoln Memorial and motivates him to fight are you sure had the right idea about me Saunders you told me to go back home and keep filling those kids full of hoy now look Santa I don't know this is a whole new world to me what are you gonna believe in when a man like Payne, Senator Joseph Payne, gets up and swears that I've been robbing kids of nickels and dimes. I don't know. A lot of fancy words around this town. Some of them are carved in stone. Some of them... I guess the tailors and Paynes put them up there so suckers like me could read them. And then when you find out what men actually do... Well, I'm getting out of this town so fast and away from all the words and the monuments and the whole rotten show. I see. When you get home, what are you going to tell those kids? Well, I'll tell them the truth. Might as well find it out now as later. 
I don't think they'll believe you, Jeff. You know, they're liable to look up at you with hurt faces and say, Jeff, what did you do? Quit? Didn't you do something about it? Well, what do you expect me to do? An honorary stooge like me against the tailors and pains and machines and lies. Your friend Mr. Lincoln had his tailors and pains. So did every other man who ever tried to lift his thought up off the ground. Odds against him didn't stop those men. They were fools that way. All the good that ever came into this world came from fools with faith like that. You know that, Jeff. You didn't just have faith in pain or any other living man. You had faith in something bigger than that. You had plain, decent, everyday, common rightness. Why? Because he has to fight to show those kids that there's a chance that they, we can have a different America. And that's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm feeling a little Sorry, inspired Steve. right now. No, that's great. Why are you apologizing I, I for wanna, being passionate about America? I go too far. No. So, so it's Gene Arthur says Mr. Lincoln had his enemies too. She had, he had his tailors. And if yes. you read, and if you read like Doris Kearns Goodwin's yes. book, Team of Rivals, mm -hmm. you see how true that is. Like the amount of pressure and, and attacks on Lincoln, maybe above any president in history. Uh -huh. And what, what occurred to me as you were speechifying was, which I really liked. Please edit this out. Yeah. No, <laughs> yours, no way. Out of my cold, dead hand, you, I'll edit that out. Um, right. What occurred to me is that in a way, Jefferson Smith's like Rocky. Yes. Oh, because, yeah, definitely. Because the thing about Rocky, and someday we're going to do Rocky, no question about Absolutely. it. That's coming along. Fun. Um, but the thing about Rocky, he's not a very good boxer. No. The thing about Rocky is that he doesn't quit. Nope. And that the not quittingness of a character in some ways can be the most moving thing. Mm -hmm. Is that all we see throughout this movie is Jefferson Smith getting knocked down. Yeah. He gets knocked down by the, by the press. He gets knocked down when he discovers that uh, Payne is a liar. He gets knocked down again and again and mm -hmm. again. And through Gene Arthur's help, he's going to get back up. Yeah. And he's going to get back up because the thing that he believes in, the idea of America, is more important. Yeah. Even then, he, even then, the fact that he might succeed, because the worst knockdown is he is at the end. He's been speeching, and his voice is gone, and it's, he's completely wiped out. Yeah. Unbelievable performance by Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. He's he's begging people to listen to him, and people have started to listen to him. Yeah. And the whole point was to get his state to listen. And then in marches fifty thousand letters from his state saying, "You're a liar, yeah. an asshole, you're a terrible person." And he looks and realizes this is completely hopeless. Mm -hmm. This is a lost cause. I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. All you people don't know about lost causes. Mr. Payne does. He said once they were the only causes worth fighting for. And he fought for them once. For the only reason any man ever fights for them. Just one plain, simple rule. Love thy neighbor. And in this world today, full of hatred, a man who knows that one rule has a great trust. You know that rule, Mr. Payne. And I loved you for it just as my father did. And you know that you fight for the lost causes harder than for any others. Yes, you even die for them. Like a man we both know, Mr. Payne. You think I'm late. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And even then he keeps going. Even knowing that it is hopeless, he's going to keep going because... He's rocky. That's you why. know, he's got to keep going. You're about to make me cry. That's why I love the film. Yeah. Because I have, I, I, there, some of those of us who are built with that feeling inside of us that there's, we won't quit. We don't quit. There's one thing we will never quit on. And that's the thing. When you have those moments, you don't ever stop. And it's, it's a terrible burden. It's a curse. But you recognize it and, and when you see it in a character. And that's what I love about Jimmy Stewart's character so much in this film because. Even in that moment when he should quit, when everything, those letters, those letters are like just hammer blows to the heart. Even in those moments, at that moment, he could quit and he doesn't. He fights to the point where he faints. And I love the line he says, someone's got to listen to me. Yeah. Someone's going to listen, right? Because he really believes to the, to the last dying breath that someone will hear what he has to say and believe him and uh, turn this whole thing around. And I love that.
and ah, anyway, there. Go ahead. You you, you know the expression. Um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes. I actually think it's usually the opposite, is that the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Ah. And I think in this case, we see Jimmy Stewart, where his spirit is beyond his flesh's yeah. power. If yeah. his body would have kept going, he would have kept going. Yeah. No matter what happened to him, there is nothing that was going to stop him yeah. at that point. Partially, I think, because of Jean Arthur. Yes. Is that without her love and knowing that she loved him, he wouldn't have done it. Is mm-hmm. that the, the naive Jefferson Smith that shows up in Washington yeah. didn't actually, he had a lot of, I mean, we heard he fought forward fires yeah. and, you know, he was a brave guy, but he wasn't this guy yet. Yeah. And, 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 and this maybe is another point for the film is that you actually, you have to be hurt to get strong. Mm-hmm. You know, that I forget which, who I'm quoting, but, you know, you know, you break and sometimes you become stronger at the broken places, yeah. you know, and I've misquoted it. It's a much better quote than that. I can't remember what it's from. It sounds perfect to me. Um, but that, that we have to go through the fire in order to gain our strength. You can't grow up unless you have pain. You can't uh, trial and error is for a reason so that yeah. you can figure things out, be stronger and not do it again. Or when the situation erupts again to not fall down the same path again, that's the goal of life. That's, that's the evolution of human, you know, of humans. It's, it's to, to learn the lessons and be stronger for the next time. And this is the thing I wanted to ask you now that we're at this point about the film. What do you think happens at the end? Like, do you think he stays a senator? Do you think she stays in Washington with him, Saunders? Or do you think he goes back having tasted this political life, knowing that it's not for him because he will have to make deals and sell out? And goes back to live in Willard Crick. Is that what it was? With uh, Willard Crick. Willard Crick with uh, with Saunders, and because she's in transition. Well, he doesn't own Willard Crick. Right. So, no, but so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not like, going to live there. He yeah, might right. go back to his state. His state, right? And live there. Do you think that's that's what happens in the? And do well, you think? I want to ask. Pain, a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I want to ask a question first. Okay. Because and this is and then I'll, and then I'll get to that. Which sure. is, do you buy the ending with Payne trying to kill himself? Uh, well, I do because uh, Taylor laid it out earlier in the movie. You might when as well, blow your, you might as well blow your brains out. And so I buy that. But do I think that the senators, because they all say to him, no, no, no. They all crowd around him when he's trying to say, don't kick him out. Kick, kick me, me out. out. Yeah. But they all save him. And the reason they save him is because they've all done what he did. So they're going right. to protect him, and there's no way he's going to get out of there. And Taylor's machine is still going to go forward. But I do think he'll lose this battle, but it doesn't mean he'll lose the war. So uh, to me, so, so so sometimes as a writer, you write yourself into a corner. Yeah. And 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 hope you hope that your smart characters will find your way their mm-hmm. way out of the traps that you create for them. Yeah. And I think in this movie, and even more so in Meet John Doe. Capper get puts himself in a corner, yeah. and I actually find the ending to Meet John Doe, it's almost impossible, mm-hmm. and I don't think it succeeds. I love the movie; it's, yes. I adore the movie, and the ending is sort of, and we'll talk about when we talk about that sure. movie, hard. Yeah. And this is one where they needed to end the movie, and yeah. they kind of set it up, but I don't quite believe it. That's fair. It seems because a little he had just brought in the letters. Yeah. To devastate him. And then he's going to, and then he, somehow he happens to have a gun with yeah. him and that he's going to be killing him. And it happens right. very fast. And it's a little deus ex machina. Right. I mean, I adore the movie. There's not a criticism of the movie, mm-hmm. but the reason I think that's important is that, that that strange ending makes it hard for me to predict what's going to happen. <laughs> this is, I think this you know? is 2006 skepticism, and I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you because, A, you're right. Where, 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 where's the gun? Why is he doing it in the lobby? Why is he not doing it in his office? Yeah. Right? So Because people will stop him. And when he comes in and does a whole histrionics about don't, terminate, don't yeah. expel him, expel me, they could turn that around and he could use that as like, well, I was, I was, you know, doing the noble thing of sacrificing myself for my colleague, right? He, they could have, they could spin that later so that he gets saved completely. Pain gets saved completely from what he's done. And you're right. It, it doesn't necessarily work. It's out of the blue. And then the movie ends and the movie's with like, kids cheering. And really, how, how much further can you go? Because yeah. I think the movie wants you to believe that things are going to be better. Yeah. And it wants you to believe that maybe he does stay a senator and maybe he's taught the Senate a lesson and maybe things and maybe Taylor really does get exposed and maybe <laughs> that. Does, but I don't really think that happens. No, you remove one Taylor. There's another Taylor waiting to slide in. There I, always is. I mean, I think I think it helps. Sure. I think things are a little better. Yeah. Well, and this is what's interesting to me about Capra is I, is, is that I don't think Capra is saying be naive and love American. Abs- uh, absolutely. Absolutely not. No. I think it's saying, I think Capra is saying there's an ideal here 
you know, which we see in It's a Wonderful Life and mm-hmm. Meet John Doe and Mr. Deeds and Mr. Smith of Love Thy Neighbor. Mm-hmm. There's an, an ideal of care about democracy, about freedom of speech, There's a, the, and, and that we will never be there. Yeah. That that ideal doesn't exist, and we should always work for it, but yeah. we always must recognize we can't do it with our eyes closed about yeah. the world. Yeah. We have to have our eyes open mm-hmm. about the world. Yeah. You know, and that's a that's a complicated thing to walk, and it's certainly one that exists today. Yeah. Is you cannot naively believe everything that people are trying to tell you. Yep. And you should not certainly should not naively believe that everything about America is awesome. Right. And yet you still must maintain some core of faith that we can improve, that democracy can work, that America can work, that the ideals and principles that the country was founded on Mm -hmm. are ones that we can hold on to and we can grow with. Yeah, but America is us as our own individual person. And by that, I mean, like, we sometimes will do mean stuff. We'll ignore somebody. We won't talk to somebody. We'll like do something that's selfish for our own personal needs. Perpetrate a genocide against the whole race. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that, but you know, you could you could outcast your family. I mean, there's yeah. certain, human beings can do so many separate things individually in their lives that can be very reflective of what America has done collectively as a nation in their in its history. And so I think that's where you have to take a look at that and see how America reflects us and, and vice versa and why certain things happen. That's why the idealistic nature of things, you're always like, no, there's a realism. And it's so great about what you said, Steve, because that is what happens to Jefferson Smith's character. He gets schooled and he gets schooled because he has to get schooled. And, but he never sacrifices who he is as a person. So at the end, that's what's so great about him is that he's still worldly or he's a little more worldly than he was before he got there, but he's still fighting for the right principles and the right ethics and from the right place. And it gives us hope that we can too. Absolutely. And I think that what makes him a unique character Mm -hmm. is that the odds are that's what happened to Senator Payne. Yes. If Senator Payne came to Washington, we know he was an idealist. He and his best friend was murdered in a fight that they were having against the the coal mine or something like that. And he was a fighter for truth and justice for the American way. And he showed up and he realized he couldn't do anything without Taylor's help. And he has a good line at one point where he says, you're right, I did take the money, but that allowed me to do a thousand other honest things. Now, whether or not he did do a thousand other honest things, we don't know. We don't. But he thinks he did. Right. And maybe he did. And so that he, when faced with his Mr. Smith moment, gave in. Yes. And we get the sense that all those other senators in the room, they had their Mr. Smith moments. They all showed up naive and idealistic. And then they, but they didn't do what Mr. Smith does, which is to to realize the reality, but hold on to his ideals. But I think that's why he wears them down. And that's the thing that when they come towards the end of the film, when they're all in the lobby with Senator Payne and some of the senators are like, some of us believe that uh, he wouldn't be doing this right. if he, if he didn't really believe and he wasn't telling the truth. And he's like, all right, fine, fine. If you want to believe him, fine. You, you know, maybe I've been lying. Cause if, if he's even this much correct, then I'm that much wrong. And yeah. that's, that's the thing uh, that I think is so interesting because that's what uh, Jefferson Smith's character does is he strips away the veneer of, uh, of cynicism and this is how things are. And you, you expose that but underneath it is this belief that they first arrived with, to Washington with this belief that things could be better, that things could, that they could make things work for everyone and that we could make people happy and make this care, this country great. And th- everyone has that. And I don't care who's a politician. I think most politicians still have that belief. It's when they get there and see how the system really, really works. It's, it's like a bucket of cold water in your face, very, very yeah. freezing cold water in your face. And you have to decide if you can hang with this and make the compromises or go home because right. there's no other option. Well, and that's, I mean, your description of how he reaches the senators, that's what he does with Saunders. Mm-hmm. I mean, his speech, when he's talking about his country, you've never seen that. You've never yeah. seen, you know, the plains and the wind leaning on the prairie and all the whatever crap he says <laughs> and he says it with such sincerity yeah. and such passion and again Jean arthur watching him yeah. you see her whole persona change right. as she listens to someone who is actually passionately saying what they feel that's what's got to be in it what the capital dome on paper i want to make that come to life for every boy in this land yes and all light it up like that too you see you see Boys forget what their country means by just reading the land of the free in history books. Then they get to be men, they forget even more. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. 
Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. Boys ought to grow up remembering that. And, and then that steering committee or whatever it is, they've got to see it like that. And I know Senator Payne will do all he can to help me because he's a wonderful man, isn't he, Miss Saunders? Um, let's get on with this. Hmm? Oh, yes. All right. This camp is going to be out in your state. About 200 of the most beautiful acres that ever were. You've never been out in that country, have you, Miss Saunders? No. I've been over every single foot of it. You could have no idea. You just have to see it for yourself. I don't know. The prairies and wind leaning on the tall grass and lazy streams down in the meadows and angry little midgets of water up in the mountains. Cattle moving down the slope against the sun. Campfires and snowdrifts. You know, everybody ought to have some of that sometime in his life. My dad had the right idea. And he used to say to me, have you ever noticed how grateful you are to see daylight again after coming through a long, dark tunnel? Well, he'd say, always try to see life around you as if you've just come out of a tunnel. Where'd you come from, Miss Saunders? Well, I guess I've always lived in the tunnel. And it is such a like moment of awakening that yeah. you see for her, and you go, oh, this is the power of Jefferson Smith. And really, mostly up to that point, we've seen him be a buffoon. Yeah. We, it, mostly he's a joke. Yeah. And so for him to come out and just speaking from the heart, just wipe her out, yeah. you go, oh, this is someone special. That's a great point, Steve. We, her awake, she has an awakening as well. Yeah, oh, it's a great I, she point. She has to. Yeah. She has to. And then to just go back to Thomas yeah. Mitchell and his character of Dizzy, is that it's so he great. loves her so much and he is happy for her yeah. when he sees that she's in love mm-hmm. and willing to help her even though you know it means the end of his happiness right. in a way. But that's really loving somebody. Absolutely. You want them to be happy. You not yeah. selfishly want them to love you. Yeah. That's loving somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk just, I want to talk because we started talking about Frank Capra and I mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about where he went because okay. uh, World War II comes along and he reenlists in the military. Yeah. He does the Why We Fight documentaries, yes. which are fascinating to yes. watch. He becomes essentially the head of the military's um, uh, film division mm-hmm. and has directors like John Ford under him. Yeah. And um, and then after he comes back, uh, he makes lesser films, and he really kind of locks horns with Hollywood. He who could do whatever he wanted before really can't. And then he got he didn't, wasn't brought into the House on Un-American Activities Committee, but he was tarnished by the blacklist. Yeah. And then he goes into TV, and he never really has a film career again. Yeah. And it just breaks my heart to think about this guy who made America in a yeah. way, like made the vision of America that we hold on to in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and that this guy gets pushed out as un-American. Well, it's so reflective of his movies. Yeah, he was this ideal. He had this idealistic version of America that he portrayed, and also exposed the flaws of America. But in exposing the flaws of America, he made himself subject to uh, these uh, retaliatory forces. And as he got into the brought into the house of un-American, that's that's. That's a Capra movie right there that's yep. happening, right? A fantastic director who's made people love America gets brought in and accused of being a red on some witch hunt by these nuts who were in charge of that House of Americans committee at the time, uh, Joe McCarthy leading them, and has to, has to pay the price and becomes and, be, and gets pushed into obscurity, in essence, on TV and gets his voice uh, silenced. Yeah. And that's the tragedy yep. of Capra. You're right, dude. Yeah, and, and, and it's like because he preached ideals of free speech mm-hmm. and charity and compassion and was clearly anti-big business, yeah. well, it must be a communist. Yes, you right. Know, must hate America. I right. mean, can you imagine someone thinking that Capra is un-American? I know, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and particularly, it's like, well, you go back to this idea of the immigrant kid who comes in and falls in love with America mm-hmm. despite terrible things being said about him yeah. that he's a wop when yeah. he's a kid yeah. and and again and that to me is the contrast of mr smith is the difference between loving the ideal yeah. and seeing the reality mm-hmm. and that we get we have to do both at the same time love the ideal and see the reality yeah, exactly absolutely yeah. all right final thoughts <laughs> final thoughts please go see this movie again if you haven't watched it in a long time and after listening to our podcast we've reawoken your desire to watch it you will enjoy it it's so much of a good time great great 
great dialogue, which we don't talk enough about writers on this show, yeah. which, but great screenplay and great uh, back and forth, some phenomenal acting scenes, and something that'll probably touch you uh, in a way that you didn't anticipate touching you in 2016. I totally agree. And one thing I feel a little bad about, because both John and I <clears throat> went off on heavy American really topics, did. and maybe we didn't spend enough time talking about the fact this movie's really funny. Yes, it is a really funny movie. In particular, anytime Jimmy Stewart is dropping his hat. Yes. With when he talks to Susan, it's yes. funny. Gene Arthur and Thomas Mitchell, they're funny. Great Gene stuff. Arthur and, and and Jimmy Stewart are funny. Yes. There is funny stuff throughout this film until maybe the last twenty minutes. Not so funny. Right. Right. Exactly. But, but it is a because it's that it's Capra's really deft touch with comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very enjoyable film. It might be a little slow to get started. It takes mm-hmm. a little while. Yeah. It's fun stuff to watch. Sure. Um, yes. I highly recommend it yeah once he actually gets to washington it's a blast yeah. yeah okay so please watch mr smith we would love to hear your comments if you disagree with our love of america <laughs> you're certainly welcome to post Absolutely. your nasty comments on our facebook page we accept them all. uh we would love to hear any suggestions you have for future films and please 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 uh review us on itunes i'm a very insecure person and i'm desperate for your <laughs> approval and so if you don't want me to you know i don't know go back into the bottle i think it's <laughs> It's important for you to leave Let's not me. Blackmail nice... the fans, Steve. Sure, is that a bad strategy? <laughs> I <think> so maybe. <laughs> uh, we would love to. If you have thoughts on, to put them on uh, iTunes, that would be a great help. Um, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at on Twitter at sr morris. Yeah, if you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Roca says R O C H A. Please, you see that all the shows I host or co-host, like this show or the shows I'm a guest on, uh, all over this uh, wonderful city of Los Angeles. That's it. Definitely check them out. And uh, that's it for this week on the Cinephiles. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.